0: Are you listening to Discovery debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was at some point some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan.
1: To Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Pro- Prodigy, Strange New Worlds, and more. I'm co host Cicero Holmes, and I'm joined by three members of our esteemed panel. Returning are Chris Clow. Hey, Chris. Hello. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. And uh, Rachel Clow. Hey. <laughs> and my number one, Ty
2: Monaghan. Hey Ty. Hey. Hey Cicero.
1: All right. Well, oh nothing uh no uh no body clips quips from you today, but that's not no, nothing. All right, that's fine. It's, it's fair. It's I mean, re-
0: really, Cicero, you were always the quip bastard.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know. Well, yeah, I passed it on to Ty. You know, I taught him, I taught him <laughs> everything. I <did>. uh, <laughs> well, I, I hope everyone had a chance to, to listen to our last episode uh, where we had a chance to uh, have our conversation about episodes three and four with our special guest, Ali Nagib. Uh, if you didn't, you may miss some of the callbacks that might occur during our discussion this week, uh, but but uh, please listen. Ali is an awesome human being, and and you'll see right, why right away if you listen to our discussion. Um, but uh, I guess what what we're uh, what we can celebrate also is we're finally caught up. We finally caught up, right? No more double episode recaps. We're just down to just one episode recap where we'll be recapping uh, Star Trek Picard episode five this week by itself. But as we said last week, just because Paramount Plus doesn't have double Star Trek uh, to release doesn't mean that they're done releasing all their sci-fi on one night. Halo. (laughs) Halo, the series, released its second episode on Thursday as well uh rachel chris before we get into our star trek discussion have you watched any of the halo series and uh if so what are your thoughts so far
3: we are caught up as far as i know right yeah because it comes out on
0: thursday thursday yeah okay yeah
3: thursday on paramount plus <laughs> <Sci-Fi Thursday. laughs> yeah uh we're caught up um i wasn't super into the first episode and so for the second episode, Chris put it on, and I was like, "Oh, I'll go to bed in a couple of minutes." And right. then a couple of minutes went by, and I was like, "Oh, well, we'll see what happens." And then, <laughs> and then I had watched the whole episode. So oh. good for that episode for keeping right. me into it. So I, right. I'm impressed. Okay.
0: Yeah, I um. I'm intrigued. The The coolest part of it, at least for me being a, a pretty big fan of the games is that the production design really uh, manages to evoke the world of the games that I'm quite familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler by now because it's a pretty major beat of episode one and that's available for free on YouTube as we speak. Yes. Um, removing his helmet. Uh, pretty big departure. Like, if you're familiar with the games, you ne- the there is only one time that you've seen even a fraction of Chief's face, and you had to beat Halo Four on Legendary even to get that split second moment. Right. Um, so seeing his face as often as you do in the show, like I get it. I know. I, I mean, I heard those stories about Pedro Pascal being a little dissatisfied with having to keep his face covered all the time in The Mandalorian. Um, and weirdly enough, it seems like Helmeted Chief sounds like Pedro Pascal. Yes, Uh yes. Which, which Rachel certainly noticed, too, when we were watching it. But it changes the relationship between you and Chief. Like um, in the games, when obviously you're playing as him, at least in the mainline games, but the veneer that he holds and the fact that you don't get to see like the the decidedly humanizing component of his face really does elevate him into mythical or legendary status. Right. And, and that's something that persists throughout the entirety of the series. Um, by seeing his face, you don't get that. And I'm wondering if the trade off is too much, Mm -hmm. but I'm also open to the story that the show is telling. And if there's a, a good solid reason for it then that's fine but um it does feel like it maybe has lost something in the adaptive philosophy by going that route but again like i i understand that drama is kind of important to uh to connect with the characters on that level on the emotional level that the face can provide for viewers sure. so i i get it uh, and right. I, I certainly wouldn't begrudge them but just as a fan of the games, it does change the feeling of Halo quite a lot to see Chief as much as you do.
1: Yeah, uh, I. So the one thing that I will say, and it's it's something that uh, I've I've borrowed and 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 kind of bastardized from our other panelists um, here on Discovery Debrief, uh, Professor Zaki Hassan, and and that is that I've likened what they've done with this show is w- with they've taken all the toys they got, they've gotten all the toys in the toy box and they were described all of the characters and all the toys in the playset. And then they were told to make a story with them. Sure. And, and they've made a very different story than the one that we've seen in, in the, in the games. And they've, they've had an interpretation of chief that I think is very, it's, is different enough. It's, It's a big enough departure from the games that it makes him, a different person, right? So the Master Chief you see on the screen um, that you're watching every Thursday night on Paramount Plus is is markedly different, but also the same from the one that you've been playing for the last playing as for the last 15, 20 years and. and and uh, you know, on on your Microsoft, it's almost as if
2: someone took the game universe timeline, went back in time by a few hundred years, made one small change, and what we're seeing in the show is the version of that Halo universe <laughs> right.
1: that results. Right. Her name was Renee 117. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, and, and I think that it like I, I had read an article, uh, I think it was in the Hollywood Reporter about how the the really dense mythology and the expanded universe side of Halo is one of the things that attracted them to the yes. potential for an episodic show. And that's cool to see. It hasn't manifested in, in a particularly meaningful way yet. I know it mm. could. But um, I mean, it doesn't seem like outside of just seeing forerunner technology that they have leaned on like the, the, the eons that stretch back in, in terms of the Halo timeline and the importance of, uh, of humanity as a descendant of the forerunners. And people who might be listening to this right now may have no idea what I'm talking about unless you played right. Halo and read like at least <laughs> one novel. But um, there is certainly a lot of room to explore uh, the deeper mythological roots of the universe there. Um, I don't know. It's, it's also a tall order to replicate because, you know, like even in the first episode, they did the FPS view. Right. And right. I, I remember seeing that for the first time in the doom movie with the rock, you know, <laughs> yes, and, absolutely. and it kind of like, it got maybe a little, little, it might've become a trope at that point. But like even Rachel was saying when we were watching the first episode and when the first battle was taking place, because she hears me play Halo all the time. So sure. like the, the shield beep when that went right. off, she's like, Oh, I know that noise.
1: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The, like, <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes.
0: <laughs> so it's just it's it's cool to see like halo make that jump but mm-hmm. i'm still a little cautious
1: about the show sure, i'll still watch sure. it
0: though i mean all right, all right paramount plus has me because of star trek so i might yeah, as well watch the other big budget sci-fi show they're doing
1: there you go well while while you're watching paramount plus and you're watching your halo show you can uh listen to a uh halo discussion on forward unto kwan hosted by tyler monaghan hey and co-hosted by uh Sister holmes and uh, Megan Watt Our, our good friend. Um, so uh, yeah, that was a, a chance for a cheap plug. You know it's our space so we can plug away. We love cheap uh, but, plugs but, but <laughs> yes, but thank you thank you guys very much for uh, for your uh, input and your opinions. Uh, we love to hear them. Uh, we're gonna let you have some more when we talk about our news. Star Trek, the motion picture, Star Trek, colon, the motion picture, <laughs> colon, director's cut, open friends, <laughs> 4k, close friends <laughs> <laughs> has been released directly to Paramount plus. And while this hotly anticipated release has delighted me, I'm sure this panel and many Star Trek fans around the world, discovery still seems to plague the streaming service. Uh, Have you had a chance to watch the new release? And if you have, or even if you haven't, how long did it take you to find it on the service?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, for for people who are listening to this, who follow this whole crew on Twitter, I made a stink yesterday, which is April 5th. First contact day.
1: That is uh, correct.
0: No less that uh, I had to go because obviously April 5th has been in my mind, not just because it's first contact day, but because they announced that they were going to be releasing the 4k restoration of the director's edition of TMP on that day. And obviously I was really looking forward to it. We have talked quite a bit, I think actually on debrief about star Trek, the motion picture, Uh, whether it was when Cicero and Rachel and I, and my buddy Adam went to see it in the theater when, when, they brought it back for the 40th anniversary, which they should have done this for that. But, you know, that's beside the point. Yes, yeah. And uh, (coughs) our our mutual friend, Kyle Sullivan, uh, he has often said that the motion picture is his favorite Star Trek movie. So Mm -hmm. that's entered into the equation as well. But uh, the director's edition just has not gotten the love that it deserves in 20 years, because as we've said before, Paramount made the incredibly short-sighted decision to only remaster the new effects at 480p on that initial release and they didn't look forward to the fact that even in 2001 you could probably tell that dvd was pr- going to be on its way out sometime in the next decade right. and they just you know they made their quick buck and moved on as happens so often um but i made a stink yesterday on twitter when they dropped the new director's edition that I had to go looking for it on Paramount Plus. It was still pretty early in the day, and uh, you know, you just you get up in the morning on first contact day, and you go to Paramount Plus. That's just as the thing you do. We do, right? right you know, as you just, do. That's that's the thing. And I had to go looking for it, and I was like, "Come on, Paramount!" A couple of hours later, I got a direct push notification saying, "Watch the restored version of Star Trek: The Motion Picture." So at least with that, and then a couple of other people mentioned, uh, tweeted at me saying, Oh, they, there was a splash page for it. So they got to it later at least. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, there it's still not perfect. We've complained a lot about paramount Plus on this show and how it's user experience leaves something to be desired, especially if you are looking for the new star Trek material that releases. But, um, they still took this release on when they didn't have to. The original director's edition was overseen by Robert Wise himself, who was no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of had to reassemble things from the guidance that he had laid down 20 some odd years ago. Um, and it's beautiful. I haven't watched the entire thing yet. And um, I will probably try and see it in the theater when it comes out, I think next month or June, I think is when they're going to mm-hmm. be doing a theatrical exhibition for it. But uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, I was a little surprised. Another Paramount Plus thing. Uh, I had to manually switch the audio to Atmos. I thought it would have just, you know, given me the top of the line from the beginning, but no, that, that, they didn't do that. But uh, no, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's not like watching a whole new movie because it's not, but it is really cool to see that TMP is getting some TLC, and right. uh, and I'm pretty pleased with it so far mm-hmm.
1: looking forward to finishing it you were you were also pleased with that pun there as well um i, I, I know you're <laughs> i just you're, came you're, up with that your your dad your dad muscles are strong so <laughs> ty uh,
2: what what about you have you have you had a chance to watch it yet yeah it's uh no i have not watched it yet probably by the time we next record i i will have seen it um ironically it was right there on my main screen when i opened the uh, paramount plus app good uh so we have we have dramatically different experiences with with the app (laughs) uh maybe it's getting the ad free versus not the ad free version or something right. like that. It's like uh, opening Paramount plus is like pulling a finger on the monkey's paw.
0: You never, know. Right, right. You never yeah, know you're what gonna you're going
2: at yeah. this point. I'm strongly like, I'm excited for, um, you know, mission Chicago and I'm just considering wearing a t-shirt with a uh, Paramount plus and the poop emoji. And I feel like right. I'm <laughs> getting high fives all day. Right. <laughs> uh,
1: Rachel, what, what about you?
3: Um, I well, I forgot about it until Chris pulled it up. Um, I'm pretty sure I got a Paramount Plus notification about it, but I dismissed okay. it without reading it because uh, Paramount right. Plus sends me a lot of push notifications I don't right. care about. Exactly. Um, so.
2: <laughs> New equalizer. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Stuff like that. Um, so uh, yes. yeah, Forever. I watched like two minutes of it, and um, they were good. They were very high quality um, audio and video, so that's all uh, I can say. Uh, well, you <laughs> know that's what? Good that's, minutes,
1: right? Those—that's
3: what—that's that's <laughs> what, what—that's what they want. And
1: so I did. I actually did a search, um, because as as you would know, if you're a Paramount Plus subscriber, uh, for the television shows, Star Trek has its own category, yeah. and mm-hmm. in that category are the 12 original programs that have ever aired featuring Star Trek. So the uh, original series, the five shows that came in the TNG era um, as, or well, the four shows that came in the TNG era, the animated series and uh, the six new newly produced shows uh, that are, either airing or set to air, including Strange New Worlds and Short Treks. So you have those 12. But if you do a search for Star Trek, you find out that all of the movies, except for one that are Star Trek, are available also on the uh, platform. And uh, the director's cut, so there's the motion picture and the director's cut of the motion picture. And there is a documentary behind Star Trek. I think it's what it's called or building Star Trek, the Smithsonian doc documentary. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. That was really, really good. Um, So, so there, there is t- total, there are 25 or 26 pieces of Star Trek content on the service out of the 27 possible because the original Kelvin Star Trek film is not on the service, but, but beyond and into darkness are. Um, so there is no way for you to, while there is a category for the television shows, there is no category for the films, which makes no, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me considering that it is a franchise that they've been, I would assume that they're trying to promote is a franchise that they're trying to kind of uh, uh, ballyhoo as their anchor support for this service. And they've done a fairly decent job of at least being able to say, here's all our original content in that for that franchise. You can find it all here. Why not do the same for the, the feature films that are also in the franchise, uh, since you have a movie section, have a Star Trek section there so people can find those films there. Um, you own them. So why don't you make it easy for people to, f- to find them and see them?
0: Maybe uh, maybe that'll change when the next movie is kicking into high gear. Um, but yeah, it seems like they're just interested in promoting the things that they have the most direct control over at the moment.
1: Yeah, um,
0: But... That's still not a great omission when you're trying to be the, the stop for star Trek. Yes. Um, so yeah. Bizarre. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, in other news, uh, closer to our topic for today, star Trek Picard season three announcements have been made uh, and it's getting the love boat treatment. Uh, so, so as, as we all know, uh, Star Trek Picard season three is set to be the final episode or the final season in the Picard saga. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, who knows how it's going to end. But what we do know finally is that the principal, the entire principal cast from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, will be in Star Trek Picard season three. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to put on our conspiracy and uh and prediction hats. So um Rachel, I'm gonna let you put your conspiracy prediction hat on first. How will the TNG cast so uh, you know we've gotten everyone um every all of the principal members, I think the you know the only people that you that you won't see are Tasha Yar. And uh, and O'Brien
3: and Chief O'Brien, they got but, time too to yeah, recruit them. There you go. That is true. Cole so, Mead always is working though. He's probably busy.
1: Right. <laughs> so so, Rach, how how are they how are they going to incorporate the TNG cast into Picard season three?
3: Um, they have to go on some one last mission <laughs> for.
1: Curly's Re- gold
3: reasons, <laughs> uh, perhaps Q-related reasons. They already got John Delancey in, right? right. Um, and I yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like um, Riker and Troy are going to be in the season a lot because they have already de- demonstrated that they want to be back on starships and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So I know at least, at least they will probably be a big part of the season, but I, I don't know if the other people are just doing cameos or if they're going to be like principal actors in the season or what's going on there. Is it just like a couple episode arc where the gang has to get back together for some reason, or is it going to be the whole season arc? I really like from the marketing, it really felt like the whole season arc was going to be like, oh, they all got to get back together to accomplish some sort of task together. Um, So I don't know, probably I'm going to I'm going to get crazy. I think that there's going to be something from some episode that some TNG episode has happened and they have to uh, correct Something they did in that episode and for some reason all of them have to be there Um, Mm. and they're going to have to go do that or the galaxy will be destroyed because that's the stakes. (laughs) And Ty, um,
1: what are we going to see with, with our TNG cast? I don't, I don't know what they're going to be
2: doing, but I'm going to go ahead and say, based on so much of what we've seen this season with Picard, that uh, it's, it's not the gang getting back together for one last ride. Like the way that we saw uh, Riker show up uh, with, with the Titan. Right. Um, Right. A couple of times, depending on which show we're talking about. Right. But I think it's going to be, um, I think we're going to be seeing them from the TNG era. Like, right, from the same timeline or maybe even slightly before, even though I guess, uh, like, Worf would have a different position. But, like, they could, they could do whatever they want, right? If it's a right. different timeline and something has been altered. But I think, I think it'll, I'm going to go ahead and uh, make my guess that it's something more along the lines of, like, what we've seen this season where... We're not seeing them, you know, in the normal continuity where they've all aged as many years as it's been since TNG was on the air. But we're right. instead seeing, and I don't know whether that—I don't think they're going to like de-age everybody. Um, but I—I I guess I didn't really think about that when I started to make this bold prediction. Uh, <laughs> they're going to de-age no. everybody. Yeah, to hell with yeah, it. They're going to de-age yeah. everybody. Age exactly. everybody. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There we go. I love it. I love it. Uh,
1: Chris. Um, take us home, man. What, what's, what's going to happen um, if I were to guess it's going to be something that has
0: more to do or, or less to do with everyone and more to do specifically with Picard himself and uh, the current Sung. because we know that Brent Spiner can't play data. So um, but Brent Spiner is in the fold and he's in the fold with everybody else. And something involving Dr. Soong and Admiral Picard uh, with stakes is going to encourage the band to get back together because they don't want him to be alone or they don't want him to be uh, with someone that has a dubious trust level in Dr. Soong. So, um, I mean, it's kind of a shame that the, the book has been closed on data, that it seemed like a pretty definitive end for him and certainly a far more appropriate end than the one that we got in 2002. But um I just speaking uh from the raw emotional level of, of absorbing that teaser for the first time, I was not prepared for that. I just wasn't, mm-hmm. it, you know, LeVar Burton, I think was more expected uh mm-hmm. just because he has such a high level of, uh of interface with the star trek franchise i always thought it was a matter of time before we'd see geordie again more surprising for me in particular was Worf and dr crusher um, because it seems like dr crusher in particular they've just kind of tried to stay away from and for whatever reason they've also tried to to steer clear of even mentioning Worf. like i don't even know if Worf has actually been mentioned uh, he certainly wasn't mentioned the first season. And I think that he is such a beloved character in terms of the entire franchise, that it was a really glaring, uh, hole that has been left. Like what the hell is Worf up to? We all want to see Worf again. Michael Dorn certainly wants to see Worf again. Why aren't you making this happen? Since they said that season three of Picard was the last one, It's a hard thing to imagine uh, Patrick Stewart ever playing Jean-Luc Picard again after that point. It was now or never. And I'm very glad that they're pulling the trigger. I'm sure there's going to be some surprises. They just wanted to make sure that you knew uh, if you've been on the fence about Picard and you wanted a quasi-TNG2, here you go. It's coming next year. Uh, Prepare for it. Maybe check out what's going on right now. But, uh what you have been waiting for is finally coming to pass, and um you know, I think that there was kind of a shot of uh of shock and and certainly sadness when renee aubergonois passed because there was always this possibility in the back of people's minds that well, maybe d s nine could do some kind of a reunion at some point, and now that can't happen at the same level that it could have. you know it just right. can't so um you know, working while you can't, I mean, it's, they're doing now what star Wars should have done with the sequel trilogy. They had the opportunity. There was nothing standing in their way to get the, the original principal characters all back together at the same screen at the same time. And they blew it. Uh, and they can never get back to that again, ever that, like that, that ship has sailed. Um, so the fact that paramount, is pulling the trigger on this. We're getting a TNG reunion. In addition to the great characters that this show has already built up, I have a hard time seeing Rios and Elnor and, uh, and Rafi and seven displaced to make room for the TNG crew. No, they're, they're, they're going to build on what's there. And Mm. um, so if, but back to the original premise of your question, I think it's going to be something that uh, has more personal stakes that the rest of the crew just feels they cannot sit on the sidelines for. They need to be there to support it.
1: Very well said. Um, you know, uh, really, really interesting hypotheses by all of you. Uh, and I, I, I'm just here to tell you that you're all wrong. I've been <laughs> to the future and I'm here to tell you, spoiler alert, guys, this is what's happening. Um where they're all going to be basically cameos. Um uh Patrick Stewart, uh Patrick Stewart is going to play Jean-Luc Picard one last time. Jean-Luc Picard will be dead and we are seeing his his heaven episode where he gets to hang out with all of Whoa. his friends. Oh. And he gets all of his friends in, you know, in tapestry like the, 2. In, right, right. In the in the stovacore tapestry mashup, uh, where they you know some where, sit
2: and listen to him read Shakespeare.
1: Right, they're they're uh, they're you know they're going to be no man. They're going to be on the Hollow Deck, um, doing the sequel to their Robin Hood uh, Hollow Deck. Oh. So. You know, you know,
0: you know what would be fun. And I, I mean, I kind of hope that they don't do it, but I kind of hope they do too, just because Star Trek has a a very interesting relationship with spirituality and religion. Yeah. Um, I would kind of love for like an old comic book trope because uh, I I, I, like Red Tornado is a character that I really like at DC. Sure. And um, one of the interesting things about Red Tornado is that he is an artificial life form who, who developed a soul. Like uh, a soul is a, is an actual thing that people have in the DC comics universe. And, um, so like if he dies, if, if for whatever reason he can't be brought back online again, his soul will move on. And I would kind of like to see, uh, like some version of the afterlife, like maybe the prophets are involved and data's there. And he's like, I'm surprised I'm here too.
1: Absolutely, I would would like that. I think that that would be so, but I I really honestly think that that's what we're gonna get. We're gonna get um, Picard's version of heaven with all of his friends, with uh, that principal cast around, and and it won't just be a cameo five minutes, ten minutes at the end of the season, at the end of the episode, but it you know, but you'll get half of the episode with him and his friends, um, but. The, it, what's interesting is, as they talked about the principal cast, and it is the principal cast, one person that has been consistently around this franchise, especially uh especially since the the reemergence of the of the new iterations of Star Trek, that is also from this era, is Wesley Crusher, right? Mm-hmm. Will Wheaton was not mentioned among those people. So, so if that is the case, we're still, still no Wesley in the twenty fifth century. Th- leads me to believe that we're dealing with dead Picard. See, I, if I were to guess, um,
0: if Wesley's mother's there, he's not far behind. I just don't think that because this is a now or never moment. Um, <laughs> I, f- I feel oh. Oh, Ty has something. No, what? I'm
2: just – so wait. I'm sorry, Cicero. You're saying we won't see Wesley Crusher because it's Picard's version of heaven and <laughs> yes, under no circumstances yes, would Wesley <laughs> Crusher be allowed to – Shut <laughs> up, Wesley.
3: <laughs> He's a grown man now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a so, kids yeah. on the bridge thing.
2: Sorry to interrupt you there, Chris, but that, I was just no, thinking about that. That was, that was hilarious.
0: Uh, I, I oh, he, get, he gets there. Wesley's sitting in his chair and he realizes, oh, no, I'm in hell. I'm <laughs> in <Heaven." laughs> no. (laughs) no but uh, but i just have a hard time thinking that because of the finality of all of this that um that and and especially since since beverly crusher is going to be there uh and we know that will wheaton is actively engaged with uh with the production teams of the current star Trek series uh i feel like he's going to be there in some form or fashion uh the last time we saw him was a blink and you miss it Cameo in Star Trek Nemesis, if you don't count the deleted scene that he was in. Um, So I don't know. I have I just have a hard time imagining that he's not going to be there. Presuming your hypothesis doesn't pan out, Cicero. Of course. Okay. It's going to since you've
1: been to the future. But right, right, right. I did not come back with uh, the Mega Millions, uh, (laughs) you know, winning numbers. Next time I did come back. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. I wanted to test it out and see if it worked first. Um, well, uh, now that we've gotten the news out of the way and all of the silliness, uh, let's get on to something more serious. The episode. All right, well, here we are talking about Picard episode five, uh, season two. And uh we we start out with uh, a an astronaut in peril. Um, this this astronaut seemed to have like either a british or a new zealand like i couldn't place this person's accent but you know it was clearly not an american accent talking to americans right yes talking talking to talking to americans um and what we what we later find out is just a, a a calamitous demo a calamitous uh um you know trial in in order to make sure that this astronaut to be is going to be ready for their mission in three days, uh, and then we get uh, Picard talking to not Laris, uh, the Watcher. Uh, what was her name?
3: Um, Talon.
1: Talon. Talon. Yeah. Yes, and uh, of course Jean Luc Picard. You know, as Talon pulls a gun on on Jean Luc and says to him you know basically what makes you think that I'll say anything to you cuz you may get really he goes but I'm Jean-Luc Picard and <laughs> and that changes everything <laughs> um i guess, i guess that that leads me to to first question as we we learn about uh René Picard um i have i have had problems recently with uh the way that the writers in discovery have turned um some of the people specifically michael burnham into the one um it seems like the writers on picard are leaning into that uh, a little as well do you do you feel like i'm i'm off base or do you feel that as well uh chris You know, it's funny. The first thing that I thought of when
0: Renee Picard's name came up is that, oh my God, this is a quasi-spiritual sequel to the events of the Klingon encounter at Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. That was at the Hilton between 1998 and 2010. I loved it. I loved Star Trek The Experience. It was such a cool experience Uh, experience it was it was (laughs) it was incredible i mean i I think i've mentioned it on this show before in fact i should probably do a deeper dedicated dive to that whole concept on discovery on debrief at some point but i mean you really felt like you were living in star trek's world but the premise of the first ride where you actually do visit the enterprise d and walk around the corridors and walk around the bridge and get in a turbo lift and you take a shuttlecraft all that stuff, which was awesome. And if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and watch it. Um, you are there. And all of a sudden, as soon as you beam aboard, Captain Picard disappears from the bridge. And it's because a Klingon, uh, a rogue Klingon commander named Korath, who was played by Vaughn Armstrong in the the ride for the movie, who is a well-known Star Trek character actor who played Admiral Forrest on Enterprise, for instance. Uh, Korath extracted an ancestor of Picard so that the captain would never be born. And someone in your group is that ancestor. So when you showed up, Picard disappeared, but they knew all of this too. And they were briefing us about it on the ride. So maybe the temporal mechanics are (laughs) a little bit fuzzy, but I mean, that was just the, the ancillary thought that I had, but um, no, I don't disagree with you. The only thing that I would say is that it has been established previously that the Picard family is uh, is important. Like they have uh, pioneers up and down their entire lineage in in right. generations. For instance, when Captain Picard is talking to Counselor Troy after dealing with the death of his brother and his nephew, he mentions about how ancestors of his fought at Trafalgar, how ancestors of his um, settled the first Martian colonies. Uh, so, the Picards have ex- exploration uh, and really key exploration in their blood. And uh, so, this seems like it extends from that a bit. Um, but it is a little convenient, you know. Uh, I, I don't think that that's a, an amiss observation. But uh, it didn't feel too far outside the realm of possibility, considering what we know of his
1: family. That's what I'll say. Rachel how did how did this moment and these moments kind of sit with you
3: I would have liked a little bit of explanation for why uh Talon looks like Lyris right cuz there was just nothing I'm like are we are we going to get that or like you got to like help me out here cuz is like Talon some sort of like uh a species without corporeal form that is projecting something into uh picard's consciousness i don't know but uh, i don't know. i was ju- that was just like sticking in my brain while i was watching it. i'm like Whoa, okay um i don't i i mean to me it made perfect sense that he was like but i'm john luke picard because <laughs> i mean he's been to the past before so like maybe they would have heard of him i don't know <laughs> 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 Is it weird? Is it
0: weird that it bugged me more that Guinan didn't recognize him at all?
3: Yeah, I hated that.
1: Yeah, so we 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 met. We talked about that last week, and yeah. and in in so much that and, and Ali pointed out the fact that we, what we've got now is a break in the timeline. So the Guinan that he met in 2024 never left in 1893 um only to return she had been stuck in that she's been stuck in that uh in that cave forever and then finally got out and so she had no knowledge of one of Jean-Luc at that point yeah mm-hmm. one
2: one point I read I th- I think I read this online somewhere that I thought was a little more interesting was uh that Guinan has a history of being able to detect weird discrepancies in timelines. And mm-hmm. I guess maybe a timeline shift in an alternate universe aren't quite the same thing, but it's, it's sure. yesterday, it's yesterday's enterprise, right? Where she, yeah. Yeah. like, she just has such a strong feeling that something is off that she convinces the captain to like, you know what I mean? Like do these actions yeah. that would yeah. otherwise endanger the ship. And so for her to have not at least like sort of at some point so, been willing to be like, okay, yeah, I can feel something is is weird about you. Right. And to sort of pick up that something is off, even if she doesn't, like you said, even if the timeline is broken. And so she doesn't actually have that memory anymore like that. I'm willing to buy, but it was like, it was a little too, like you really had to like show her the evidence and I was like, I don't know. I feel like she would, uh, there would be a more kind of elegant way to make that connection with her. But yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. makes sense. Well, so, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of taken aback by the fact that we've got, uh, we got not only the, but I'm Jean-Luc Picard, don't you know, don't you know that I'm special <laughs> uh, moment um, to this person who is Laris, but not Laris um, with no explanation. And then this, uh, I mean, it was great exposition for me, the the viewer, but this exposition of the history of of a Picard to Jean-Luc about, you know, this pivotal Picard. Uh and and that once the explanation was done, he also seemed to realize that, oh yeah, I do know some stuff about her. Yeah, it's you know, like she was on the Europa mission. Yeah. Oh yeah. That Picard. <laughs> <laughs> around around this time for I, I I like again, I'm here for the ride. Um sometimes the ride takes turns where I'm like, oh that turn was kind of lame. But the ride itself is still fun um, and and you know that's kind of where we are. Uh, and then we we got to a another really interesting point on the ride, and that is uh, the 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 tension between uh, seven and Rafi, but then also the the combination of seven and Rafi and Rios. And their misadventures in L.A. Um, do are we? Do you think that we're done with their misadventures? They're kind of moving their way back to the back to the ship, or do you think that there's there's still more mission for them to accomplish? Ty,
2: I you know I hope they're on their way back to the ship, but I don't I don't know if I necessarily have high hopes for that at this point uh it seems like they invested a lot in you know being in the 2024 timeline uh and establishing a few characters there and these little plot arcs for people so like I, i'm i'm growing you know sort of impatient with it um but i fear that we're uh we're still going to be on side quests for another few episodes yeah <laughs>
1: yeah uh what about you rachel where, where are you how do you like our away team and their shenanigans
3: um i, I like i fine uh the, <laughs> they're some of my favorite parts so far is, is their their little misadventures um they just feel i i guess i feel overall that like some of the overarching story is a little bit clunky um i mean to use your ride analogy the ride's a little bit a little bit clunky, a little bumpy. Um, (laughs) But I like those parts, those sort of like little mini stories that that they're going, I, I enjoy. I, you know, I don't have to... Sit and think, like, oh, why is what what why why doesn't Guyton recognize him? Why is Laris the same person? You know, like, yeah. what is going on? Like, um, yeah, and, and to that point, I also am enjoying the stuff between um Agnes and and the Borg Queen. So. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, we're we'll, we're definitely yeah, we're sure gonna we'll get yeah. to that, and, yeah. we'll, and we'll we'll spend some time with that. Um, Chris, last week, last last episode, um, I hypothesized that. Uh, that maybe Rios uh, doesn't return to the 25th century and stays to potentially become like his great great grandfather um, <laughs> with with the the trauma with the trauma doctor that he's um, clearly befriended and um, has is smoldering for a little. Uh, do you do you? Do you think that that's something that's going to happen? Do you think uh, he's going to, you know, what type of mark It's clear that the writers are setting up um, something that will allow him to leave his mark on the era? What do you think that will be? Yeah, that's an interesting
0: possibility. Oh, and by the way, I'm not purring right now. I just have a cat in my lap who is. It's either this or having him scream his head off next
1: that, to me. So, that is what you're telling everyone, but we right,
0: know yeah. the truth, Chris.
2: <laughs> no, I, uh, All right. All right. You can feel free to purr. It's fine. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a very
0: accepting
1: show. No,
2: it's, uh, it's
0: 2022. Um, I
1: mean. Yeah. Right. Come on. People purr, right? Just Get, get with the program.
0: What are you, a, a Gen Xer or a Boomer? What are you, doing? <laughs> Silent Generation? Um, no, but uh, he's certainly not part of the Silent Generation. Um, I honestly, you know, the thing that I couldn't help think from the first episode of the season up until now, like I'm always thinking about the future, and I think a Captain Rio show would be a shoo-in. You know, like that's something Mm -hmm. like he's, he's such a cool character. Like he was already a really big breakout character in the first season, but there's something that just felt so right about him on the bridge of the stargazer that I would love to see star Trek stargazer. If they're going to be doing more stuff in the 25th century, there's a lot of potential there. Like if they're not going to go back to To the legacy stuff like with the ds9 crew for instance you know or or other members of the voyager crew if you want to give us a new character to to jump into the 25th century with captain rios is the guy as far as i'm concerned um but when it comes to the doctor uh and her child i don't know i was kind of thinking more along the lines of of dr jillian taylor from star trek four who Mm -hmm. instead of Rios staying back, maybe she comes forward. Um, But it depends on, you know, maybe, maybe that wouldn't be uh, the right thing to do, depending on what she ends up doing and what her children end up doing. Um, But I think that that possibility is there. The possibility is also there that he stays behind. But honestly, I feel like that would be a missed opportunity because Mm -hmm. more stuff with captain Rios is certainly something that I would like to see. But I'm selfish,
1: so uh, you're not you're not selfish. you just have eyes., <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I, I I don't necessarily disagree. um I there there's there it, they just the writers seem to be setting up a lot of things that I, you know have to lead to something, right? And I just you know, I just can't can't begin to to really put my finger on on what. Sure. um and to 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 your point, Rachel, um the one thing that we mentioned last episode was that the writers seem to be asking the same questions that we are as the viewers via some of the characters but they don't answer those questions last in, in episode 4 we got Rios talking about whether or not Picard was a human or not like he's kind of a <laughs> cyborg but I don't really know, and nobody's giving me the answer, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, like, it's in, it, and, and on the one hand, it's funny that they're asking the same questions that we're asking. But the, you know, on the other hand, it's not funny because we're asking those questions <laughs> of them and they're just, they're just carrying them back to us. So, yeah, like, it it's, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, like, you, you hope that at some point, at the end of the season, they'll they're like, okay, fine you know, no, the jig is up. at some point, well before the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, see, I don't know. I
0: wouldn't hold my breath because Star Trek Star Trek has done this before, right? In the Trials and Tribulations episode of DS Nine, where they went back into the trouble with Tribbles, uh, and Doctor McCoy or Doctor McCoy, Doctor Bashir, and Chief O'Brien saw the discrepancy between how Klingons looked. During TOS and their own time, they just hypothesized some kind of genetic engineering or viral (laughs) mutation, and all (laughs) Warf said is, "We do not discuss it it with outsiders." (laughs) They didn't end up getting to that until like 2003 or 2004. And it was a combination genetic engineering viral mutation that explained it. Right. So it was it was a long time. So we'll see what happens.
1: Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we'll get some uh, some clearer information there. All yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, right, exactly. But if if uh, if you take anything from what Chris said, don't hold your breath. So <laughs> you have to have uh, a
0: long stretch of patience for being a Star Trek fan. <laughs> uh if if the last 20 years has proven anything.
1: So Well, well, before we get out of here, let's talk about the digital or the cybernetic elephant in the room. <laughs> um I I jokingly asked uh last week how long before um Dr. Girardi becomes the board queen.
2: And uh
1: the answer was well, no. Well, and
2: hold on. My answer, my prediction right. was I don't think that's gonna happen. I think she's gonna kill the board queen when they still need the boar queen and screw right. all that right. over. We were that both a hundred percent correct. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they seem yeah. mutually exclusive, but we were both right. Friends.
1: But, but yeah. we were both, yeah. The answer, yes, the oh, answer is. So, yeah, it is, um, they have gone in a direction um, with this that I, I, you know, I only jokingly, jokingly uh, kind of anticipated, but, but you know, in, in a not really kind of way. And I wonder what that portends for um, Girardi as a human um, for the Borg going forward. And for this crew in the 2024 present, a what do you, what do you, what do you think we are? Like, how did you, how did you feel about it? Right. How did you feel about this thing happening? Um, and like, where do you think that's going to take us?
2: I really liked the way that the episode presented it, right? Because at first, I was really celebrating, like, "Oh, I was totally right about my prediction." She killed the boy, and she even she even said it in the exact way that I predicted, right? She was like, right. "I think I just killed our only way out of here." Um, <laughs> and then I was, you know, it added a little more nuance to my reaction when I realized that the the board queen was still right. She hasn't quite assimilated her, but she's 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 in there, you know, right. Um, a part of her is is living in a part of Girati. I I just have to say, uh, similar to the way that Starfleet needs a more clear protocol for when uh, AI becomes sentient, they also need a more clear protocol for when like somebody that they work with like has a. Demonstrated tendency to commit homicides. Like, <laughs> like, maybe like we make sure one other person's always with her. You know what I mean? Right, Type yeah. of thing, or, like or, or something like that. Um, because honestly, I did not think my prediction was going to be correct because it smacked too much of what gerardi did with Bruce Maddox <laughs> in season yeah, she, one. She's right. like
0: only second to seven in terms of body count on this crew. Right. I think. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah uh Rachel what do you chris i'm gonna, I'm gonna save you for last because I know there's gonna be like pedantic continuity and and, <laughs> and stuff that that's gonna be uh brought up, but how do you feel about Borg Queen Dr. Girardi?
3: Confused um <laughs> but also. <laughs> I like it for the for the and I was like, ah, oh, cool. Because, I mean, when she killed her, I was kind of like, oh, okay, no Borg Queen anymore, but she's not really dead, right? Like, she's somewhere. And so when, when you see her again, I was like, yeah, but I was also like, okay, so I'm supposed to buy that, like, Dr. Girardi's brain can somehow also hold the Borg Queen's consciousness as well.
0: It's a big brain, uh, yeah. big brain. Nano probes, okay.
3: yeah. yeah Nano probes. I don't know. I should just not think about it so much. <laughs>
1: it
0: hurts. No, you it sounds should. good.
3: You sounds should. good. Nano pro. Nano bots. <laughs> Nano bots. Yeah.
0: Yeah, are, yeah. I mean, nanoprobes first. They don't talk about it with outsiders, right? Yes.
3: Chris.
1: Yeah. Give it to us, man. The only thing the, the only like
0: pedantic continuity thing that this brings up for me is Ensign Lynch. Ensign Lynch was the poor uh, assimilated crew member of the Enterprise who was also shot to death uh, on the holodeck by Captain Picard with a holographic Tommy gun uh, when they were trying to flee a couple of Borg drones after they had, they had uh, made their attempt to assimilate the Enterprise in Star Trek First Contact. The Borg and Bullets, man, they need to clearly for 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 Borg combat, they need to fashion the old style projectile firearms against the Borg because it seems to work. Um, probably not practical to outfit your starships with miniguns, but you know, this might uh, might might be something worth exploring. But just in terms of like the way that they're using the Queen. You know, I'm that person, that pedantic fan who was a little bit concerned about moving away from Alice Krieg playing the queen. Uh, just because I feel like her performance so innately defines who the queen is and, and what she's about. Um, but I got to say, Anne Worshing is doing a phenomenal job. Like she carries the spirit of what you expect from the threat and the allure of the Borg queen. And she's taking it in, in, into an entirely uh, truthful, but also just like more dangerous direction. Like I was not expecting to feel the kind of menace that I get from Borg queen portrayals from Alice Krieg. When she tells Gerardi in that episode, you've impressed me like that was chilling to me in a way that was wholly unexpected um so in continuing to include the queen i think is going to be a really important thing that just further helps to to set this season apart from the first um and keeping her going as this malevolent presence inside gerardi's head is a cool idea so i'm all about it we've seen the queen interface with people in a lot of different and unique ways whether you're talking about uh, the memory implantations that you saw in First Contact, or uh, how she would communicate with Seven uh, and with Janeway uh, over the course of Voyager, um, whether it was Alice Krieg or not—I think Alice Krieg only played her in the finale, but it was a good performance as usual. Um, so, just as long as they can keep the Queen uh, in the in the spotlight for this season, I think it's going to be it's going to be good, and it's proved to be one of the more interesting subplots. And I think it's something that Jurati needed because she, to me in the first season kind of got lost in the shuffle. Like she played Mm -hmm. her important part of being the, the person who was manipulated into killing Bruce Maddox. And then it seemed like she kind of fell by the wayside in season one. And now like she has a far more important place in the ensemble because of her connection to the queen uh, and potentially the only path they have back to their home. So uh, and and Alison pill, like I've been a fan of Alison pill since the newsroom. I think that she's a really great actress uh, and she clearly has a dedication to this material. I mean, all this cast is spectacular. All of the new characters are, are great and I love them in season one, but I love them even more in this season. So um, as long as they can keep the queen going and have that kind of looming threat that she represents while also, Fueling this rather personal uh, uh, war of minds between Girardi and the Queen, I think it's a great dynamic to have for the season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, I think it 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 leads us to opportunities for lots of lots of new things, and and uh, your your comments about this crew and this cast are, are uh, echoed by me. Um, I, you know, I said in last, in our last episode that, that I hope that the cast remains after Picard, the The series is over, that we get the further adventures of Rafi and Seven and Rios and, and Gerardi and Elnor. Um, because, yeah, like this crew, there's something about this ensemble that is, is just magical. And, um, you know, and, and Picard is, you know, Picard is Picard. Patrick Stewart is Patrick Stewart. And, you know, you know, how do you not love Patrick Stewart? But I've really going forward, like I, I'd be happy to say goodbye to him as long as I don't have to say goodbye to the rest of this crew. Yeah. yeah
0: this this season does not feel nearly as reliant upon him as the first one did, which is understandable. You know, he's the title character and he's Jean-Luc Picard and he's Patrick Stewart. He's this Titan in the Star Trek franchise. But uh, they've really developed these characters well, and it would be a shame if any of them uh, faded to the wayside after after this series is over. So I'm with you.
1: yeah. well, uh, i I will say that, you know we we didn't discuss Dr. Soon. Um, we didn't discuss his motivations. We didn't discuss his relationship with Q, But I think those things will get explored even more in our upcoming episode or in the upcoming episodes. Uh, and will give us an opportunity to discuss them in our upcoming episodes. But before we get to the end of our episode, I'll ask Chris and Rachel, you know, Ty and I have been talking about this uh, show for every episode, but, but the, our, our family here at Discovery Debrief hasn't been able to hear your overall uh, perception and, and feelings about the show uh, so far. Uh, Rachel, how are, you, how are you feeling about the show?
3: I'm feeling positively about it. Um, I think that you put it really well with saying that this ensemble is really magical. Um, they're very compelling to watch. And um, I yeah, I also would love to see them after, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart says goodbye and it's no longer Picard. Adieu. Um, adieu. Adieu, yes. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it, you know, it feels a little... At first, it was feeling less goofy than the first season. There's been a few kind of goofy twists since then. You know, I I kind of like the goofy twists. I don't know. It feels good to me. <laughs> to, <laughs> I, you know, I'll be like, why? Oh, come on. But then also just kind of like, oh, okay. Like, I'll, I'll go with it. Right. Um, and, you know, I also... I am also annoyed by over-explaining things. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to be like unhappy no matter what with the, with the <laughs> explanation or lack thereof. Um, so don't listen to me. I like it. <laughs> but, Chris, how,
1: how are you How are you enjoying this season so far? Oh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think I like
0: it better than the first one so far. Obviously, the, the final verdict will have to come after the season's concluded. But uh, setting the table in the beginning with showing such a dark conception of our world Uh, I think was a good way to, to have the show draw a line in the sand about how, yeah, that's not something we should want. That's not something that we need. We, we uh, we are at our worst when we give in to our base impulses and instincts and where we prioritize uh, brutality over making sure that everybody has a fair chance and that everybody's well represented. All of the ideals that come with uh, the, the utopian vision of the, of the Federation is something that I would, I would in, inherently like to believe that we are capable of achieving someday hundreds of years from now. <laughs> but um, uh, I think that uh, there was something about season one that felt timely and appropriate by showing that the Federation had become more hawkish. Uh, but sure. it, it was also, um, I don't think that they followed that uh, concept ups uh, well enough. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry. I just, Why are you yeah. You're
0: always fidgeting I when just, we're doing we're recorded podcast. You
3: just kicked, over, you kicked over the
0: enterprise. The Like the <laughs> one thing I'd prefer not to get kicked over on my desk. But <laughs> um no, I, like the, the concept of, of a federation that had lost its way, I thought had a, a lot of potential that was just kind of abandoned by the end of season one. So taking right. a little bit of a different approach, which admittedly we've seen before in Star Trek, but it feels more biting uh, to see it uh, emerge from our world as opposed to an alternate world where uh, you know, just if one thing goes wrong. Then we could give in to those base impulses, and we don't grow into our we don't grow out of our infancy, as Picard once said so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so creating that uh, that that perspective, I think, is a really good way to show why the ideals of the Federation for these characters are worth fighting for, even among people who either have a lapsed belief in them or have just assumed that maybe the Federation isn't the best path forward, uh, particularly in the case of Seven. You know, Rios, uh, in the first season, he walked away from it, but it seemed like he came back to it. Um, and it just kind of explores the, the, the multidimensional components of ideology in a way that I think is really cool and compelling. Um, but then, you know, you just have the moments themselves for the show. And I think it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Star Trek is supposed to tell us stories about the world that we live in now. And, um, and I think they're trying to do that by showing us the world we live in now without (laughs) a whole lot of modifications and, um, the characters being shocked at the state of things. Uh, should hopefully communicate some ideas pretty well to the people who are watching this show. Um, you know, brutality should not be normalized, and um, and uh, you, you know, overriding self-interest uh, has consequences. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's always a good message to refresh in people's minds, especially for the times in which we live. So I'm happy with the way that it's exploring those ideas. We'll see if it sticks the landing. As usual, modern Star Trek does have a tendency to falter when it's trying to, to land the ship. Um, but I'm optimistic, and I think that since they know that season three is the end of the road, um, this middle chapter, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll hand things off gracefully. But what I will say this season, the cliffhangers are killing me, man. It is hard. Yeah to to end so abruptly and i don't feel like that happened last season at least with this show but uh yeah those are those are making the weights
1: way more painful than maybe they should be so i'll just leave (laughs) it at that ty we're we're halfway through the season we have gone beyond uh the halfway mark where where are you with this season right now
2: Yeah. It's so interesting. Uh, I think, you know, over the course of our conversations, it seems like so much of, you know, like we all share so much in common as far as what we treasure about Star Trek, but we seem to like sort of see it in different places. Right. Yes. And that's the frustration to me with this season is I feel like, okay, earlier we kind of touched on like the Picards, right. And the legacy of the Picard family. To me, I am so uninterested in the Picards being this special family as a prescriptive thing, right? Like there's something in their blood, right? They're force sensitive, like they're the they're the Skywalker (laughs) Palpatines of this story, right? right? Like that's you can only
0: be important if you're part of the family. Exactly, it's it's so uninteresting
2: to me in the story. Wasn't
0: that part of the Godfather too? I mean, yeah.
2: (laughs) And like I'm not saying like it's cool in a different universe, but that's that's not what I tune into Star Trek for, right? Um, and what I tune into Star Trek for is to see people in families like the Picards that are exceptional, uh, as a as a description, right? To describe what they have done and what they have achieved. Sure, maybe there's some magic in the blood, you know, a thirst for exploration kind of thing. That's cool. But right, what really makes the Picards great is their commitment to service and duty um, and going even above and beyond service and duty to adding in like radical, like listening and empathy and diplomacy, right? Like those are really like the core key values to me. And I'm just, I'm just like really sitting here tapping my foot this season, waiting for those things to come into play. It just seems like we have been scrambling to figure out what's going on this whole time and then we had to go rescue Rios and then we had to you know now the ship's broken and so we got to find a place to stay and we got to try and repair the ship and we got to try and figure out if the queen you know and it's just sort of like I'm ready for them to like get their footing under them and be like oh here's the problem right here's the thing that's messed up let's Use all those wonderful things that we just talked, right? Like, let's use our empathy and teamwork, and and like, right, that sense of duty. It's one thing I've always really liked about Star Trek. It's not just that everyone's cool and great; like, they also give of themselves and sacrifice themselves. There's this, there's this mix of the importance of the individual, especially when you're talking about stories that deal with the Borg, but also the collective, right? The 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 ship, like you, the command structure like Starfleet okay. itself. Right. And, and giving up the individual to those things. And I don't like, you know, Rafi is the character that's the most unbelievable to me. Like she can't, you know, we're supposed to believe she's had this arc going in and out of, in and out of Starfleet. And she just can't see beyond the emotions that are two feet in front of her face of and her, it doesn't right. it, it like I'm, I'm just growing really impatient and i'm ready for them to like kind of start getting to the bottom of what q's doing and start you know being starfleet officers right and and like solving problems and I'm, I'm just like finding myself sort of like i love telling stories about today but i'm not sure if like showing today is working for me right now is the best way to do it so i'm still like i still I don't know if I feel optimistic, but I definitely feel like I'm open to this being turned around. Right. Like I'm not like writing the season off or anything, but I am finding myself enjoying it a little bit less. I I do like, like hearing Rachel talk about, like, I think maybe I just need to sort of enjoy the sort of side quest stuff, like going and rescuing Rios from the bus for, for what it is, you know? And like, we've kind of complained about the stakes being too high so much that maybe I should just sort of, sit back and enjoy that once in a while they're not so high and like we're just having fun rescuing this this like pleasant you know right. ice detainee from the bus right. and like it's a feel-good story and like don't don't overthink it you know but uh i am ready for things to sort of circle back and figure out what the heck's going on here i mean it's definitely
1: a a, a fair observation to say that like The motivations for why we are where we are and doing what we're doing is still unknown at halftime, right? Like, we don't even know why we're playing the game at halftime. Um, So it's hard to know how much we need to score in the second half in order for us to win the game.
2: Right. Um, it's that we're just yeah, seeing the, the person who set up the game, just like continuing to aggressively rig it. Like right? Right. Even <laughs> though,
0: <laughs> the, the Raiders that are, uh, that are blasting the sprinklers on the field so that the, that the jets slip <laughs> right. on they it. Right. On
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, exactly and, right. And,
0: and to what I was saying earlier, you know, I think that the, the, what you described Ty has been kind of a persistent problem with modern Trek, is yeah. that they don't, set everything up sufficiently enough to land the ship until episode nine. Right. Right. Or episode 12, like whatever the penultimate episode is. And then like those finales, particularly in seasons one and two of discovery Mm -hmm. and to three, to a certain extent, uh, just kind of crash to the end. And um, they, they really need to figure out a way to maybe bring the nose up a little bit sooner than they have been over the past couple of years. But the structure this season seems different enough that that plants a slight bit of optimism for me personally, but
1: there's still room to crash as (laughs) there, as has been proven before. Right. Yeah. There's, there's room to crash. That means there's room to soar. Um, And I think that that is the perfect way to uh, tie a bow on this episode. And uh, I will say that this brings us to an end of this episode of Discovery Debrief. And thank you so much for listening. And if you would be so kind as to like, share, and subscribe to our feeds, we would greatly appreciate it. If you subscribe in a place where you can leave a review, please do. And we'd be honored to read it on on the podcast at a future date. Stay tuned to this feed as we look to come back with more regular recap episodes of all things Star Trek, including the ongoing adventures of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard and the upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds. (laughs) Um, Until then, um, before then, I will say, if you happen to be in the Chicagoland area, uh, this weekend, weekend of April 8th through the 10th, Um, and are going to Mission Chicago, look for some of us. Listen for our voices. Listen for us, because you may not know what we look like. But (laughs) listen for us. We may be there. Um, uh, But uh, if you don't, and even if you do, until then, go boldly, my friends.